The following is from East Delta Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at www.eastdeltabc.com. This morning, I think. I, I can't sing very well right now. I love to sing, but uh, so I didn't sing, and I couldn't hear y'all very well, and that may be every week. I may be out singing y'all every week, so sing up and sing out. Uh, isn't it kind of spring right now? I mean, it's coming anyway, but officially, I don't guess spring is here. Uh, this morning, we got some uh, folks that are, uh, this is their time of year. Now, this is my time of year, but uh, Coach Hughes here this morning, he's a, he's a baseball coach, and he played uh, peewee or little league, whatever you want to call it. I know because I was there the whole time. Uh, he played high school ball, he played college ball, and now he coaches. We have Mr. Marshall. He's here. He probably went the same route. He probably played Little League, and then he played in high school, then he played in college, then he coached, and now he's in administration. And I'm sure there's others here that I don't know about that probably went the same route. If not, you may have played in uh, uh, Little League baseball, whatever that's called, and uh, you may have played in high school, and that may have ended your career. But whatever, wherever you may have played, there was always spring training, wasn't there? I remember in high school, uh, spring training, it was cold. And, and a lot of times it was colder during baseball season than it was in football season. And, uh, boy, it would be uh, norther blowing in. We'd be trying to play a game. And, uh, but I was listening to the news, and either this past week or week before, I think spring training officially started uh, for the, the, the baseball league, the National Baseball League. And, uh, they talked about having coaches' meetings and uh, how everything was getting started and a private meeting. And, uh, of course, those private meetings turn into public news. And you hear about the coaches uh, preparing the players' minds of this is where we want to be and this is where we want to go. And, and we're going to start the season. And usually during, during spring training, uh, at the beginning of spring training, what do they do? They get back to the basics, don't they? They go out and, and they do things that maybe you started doing all the way back in Little League. I mean, they start hitting ground balls and fly balls and playing catch. And, and these guys that have spent their life playing baseball, they understand the ins and outs of baseball. They begin every year starting over and getting the basics down. And when we look at First John, I, 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 I'm going to I'm going to preach a, a little series about seven sermons, and I'm I'm going to entitle it Spring Training. And the first thing in First John is where we're going to be this morning. If you want to turn there, it's way back close to Revelation, way back towards the back of your Bible. We're going to talk about draft day and a new kind of life. You know, it amazes me uh, some of these professional athletes uh, at some point in their career. A team drafted them. A team, a, a, a coach or a owner saw that player and and said, "Hey, I want this player." And they went through the process of working through an agent, and through that agent, they drafted this player. And sometimes they draft a player, and I was just imagining to myself uh, if I was a football player, uh, and and the only team that would draft me would be the Browns, you know. And I thought that'd just be my luck. Now, if y'all don't know anything about them. Uh, they're not the best team in the NFL. But sometimes a, a team that a player really would want to go to, he's drafted. Before he ever plays a game, he's traded. 
and he's sent off to some other team. And that may happen two or three times during the, the course of their career. And, and regardless of that, where they end up, whether it's with a team they wanted to be, whether it's a, a group of strangers, whatever it may be, they have to start with a, a basic knowledge of the game. And this morning, when it comes to our spiritual life, it comes to our Christian life, I want us to think about starting over with the basics of Christianity. It's spring season. It's spring training. It's, uh, we've been drafted onto God's team. If you're a born-again Christian, then, then the Holy Spirit of God has convicted you at some point and said, hey, I, I want to call you to my family. I, I want to call you into to the, to the Christian life, a new way of life. And we decide to respond to that call. And when we respond to that call and we confess that we're a sinner and we ask Jesus to forgive us and he comes into our heart, he comes into our life, then we become a part of God's family. That's what the Bible teaches. But there are times in our spiritual life that sometimes we get off path. We get off, we get off the, the course a little bit. And, and you see this in baseball. You see hitters that are great home run hitters and they'll go through a slump. And when they go through a slump, sometimes it's according to who they are, they'll send them back to the minor leagues. And they'll say, okay, you need to get a whole bunch of of at-bats. And and you're going to have to go back to the basics, and you're going to have to start building back up and understanding where you're messing up and things you're doing wrong. And, And that's what John is doing to this church in 1 John. He's kind of teaching them that there are some basics that you've gotten away from as a Christian. And I want to ask you this this morning. Does it matter, really matter, what you believe? Now, you don't have to answer that. (coughs) But I'll tell you this. Today, within our pews of our churches, two-thirds of people who claim to be Christians do not believe in the exclusive character of Jesus Christ. In other words, they don't believe that the Christian message is an exclusive message. It's, it's a message that is true, and there's, there's no other way. Two-thirds of, of Christians believe that, and here's the worst thing, half of evangelists believe that. In other words, they believe that there's many ways to heaven, and there's many ways to Christ. If they are, sure enough, Christians, they're in a slump. They're in a bad slump because they've missed the mark of what God has said. And, and that's why we're calling this spring training. The letter that we're going to begin study today was written by John. He's an apostle. He's one of the sons of Zebedee, it says in Scripture. He's one of the original 12 disciples. So that's who we're talking about in Scripture, in four or five different Scriptures. John is referred to as the one who Jesus loved. So... I'm going to give you all of this background, <coughs> if my voice holds up, about John. Uh, he founded the churches in, in uh, the Mediterranean world, and he was known as the pastor of the church at Ephesus. When you get over in Revelations, you understand, and you see the church at Ephesus. He wrote the Gospel of John, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, one of the four Gospels. He wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, which is one of the letters that we're reading today to the church. And he wrote Revelation. During the time of Revelation, he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. He was there several years. <coughs> but when he wrote this letter, he was nearly 90 years old, and he was the last surviving apostle. 
So just to think about all of those things that we understand. He, he had previously been, uh, or it had previously been predicted by Paul that in the, the coming days or in the last days, according to Acts twenty twenty nine, that there would be false teachers and they would come in and they would infect the churches. And as they come in and infected the churches, they would bring in false doctrine. This, this uh, terrible preaching of this, these heretics would come in and, and they became to come into this church that John's writing to and, and he begins to deal with that. And, and that's what this letter's all about. And what these heresies were known as is Gnosticism. And Gnosticism is the enemy of Christianity. But that's what John was dealing with. Today, it still is. And it's still going on today in our churches. And Gnosticism, it takes on a lot of different forms. But the one primary principle that runs through its philosophy is that matter or material is all evil. Now, I want you to remember that because this is the big thing about Gnosticism, that all matter and all material is essentially evil, but the spirit is good. Okay? Now, now don't think about this in Christ's spirit. Just in general, we all have a spirit. We have a body, mind, soul, and spirit. So the spirit is good, but all matter or all material is bad. It's, it's inherently evil. So the same principle in modern legalism, which maintains that there's a, a spark of good in everyone. That's what legalism is. Gnosticism was the same way. In other words, there's something good within all of us. And you would, you would probably say, I agree with that, or you may have even said that. But because of that, according to Gnosticism and according to legalism, we just have to develop that good within us. In other words, you're a good person, you were born with a good spirit, and because of that, all you need to do is develop the goodness within you. Doesn't that sound great? Man, I developed the goodness within me, and that's enough. You know what part of that equation is missing? Jesus Christ. See, Gnosticism says, hey, you don't need Christ. After all, Christ was nobody. All you have to do is develop what's in you and what's good. Now, agnosticism, y'all have heard of agnostics, it goes right along with Gnosticism, but it claims that we can't know God, that we doubt that there is a God, and, and, and knowing Him is probably impossible. Now, we have a lot of agnostics in our universities today, you know. I mean, they simply teach you can't, you can't know God. If, if there is a God, it's, it's impossible to know Him. Charles Spurgeon, he used to say that an agnostic is but the Greek word for ignoramus. So one might say, I don't believe the Bible because I'm an ignoramus. In other words, I don't believe the Bible because I'm an agnostic. The agnostic says, I do not know if there's a God. I do not know if the Bible's right. So we have those today in our universities that are agnostics. They say we can't know, and you, and you can't know for sure. Gnostics say, we do know. That's what they taught. We do know. Uh, they're a group that moved into the church and said, we have a superior knowledge. That still happens today. We have a knowledge that's beyond anything that y'all know, and we have a special revelation, and because of that, we're going to bring this to you, and we're going to teach you. We're super-duper saints, 
and you need to follow us because we have a new knowledge. We have a new understanding. If you watch uh, many commercials, and we have certain, I call them cults, religions that, that say we have a new revelation, and that's what they teach out of. The Mormon church says we have a new revelation of Jesus Christ. They would say we have a better plan. We have a new plan. And, and it's a new revelation. That's what Gnosticism was. That's what the, the Gnostic done. So John's writing to this community that's in discord. I want you just to think about this church and, and think about a, a leader in this church that, that you all know and that you, you would follow, that you would listen to, maybe teach a Sunday school class or maybe be involved in something. And, and one week he stands up and he begins to teach something a little different. And the next week, he teaches something a little different. And I just use myself as an example. And, and I begin to say, you know, we inherently, we're all good. If we'll just develop that good within us, a loving God wouldn't send us to hell. And, and half of you, this half says, man, that's, that's a heresy. I mean, he's, that's not the truth. That's not what I understand. But this half says, you know what? I think he's right. I've never thought of it that way. I think maybe that maybe that he's on the right path and maybe all these old-timey things are passed away and we don't really believe those anymore. That's exactly what's happening in this church. And those that have left the church, they begin calling those that are still in the church saying, hey, we need to recruit you over here. You need to come listen to these folks. They make a lot of sense. And because of that, there's all kinds of discord going on within the church. <coughs> and that's what John is trying to cover. He's, he's saying, you know, there's, there's, there's uh, the, the fellowship of the church is in an uproar. The, the Christians that are here, they've, they've left their, their basic training. They've, they've left what they understood, and, and they've gotten off on the wrong path. So John directs this letter towards them, these uh, these Gnostics are saying there's imperfections in the church. That's why we don't go. Have y'all ever heard that? Well, I just don't go to church. You know, the, the Bible, they've proved that there's some things in the Bible that may be imperfections. Or, uh, the, the preacher up there, I've seen him out, and he, he's not a good guy. And the deacon, boy, I've seen them, and they act like this and that. And there's, there's imperfections, so I don't go. That's exactly what was happening to this church as John's writing. These Gnostics were pointing out all of these imperfections. If that person's really who they say they are and God's really living in them, why would they do this? And people begin to think and people begin to move in that direction. So John writes this with a sense of urgency. He says, I want to write this, and, and it's coming from a desire to restore the fellowship that, that was once within this church and this community that was once divided. Now, I'm stopping here to say we're not that church. We're not the church that is divided. We're not the church that, that our fellowship is falling apart. I don't want you to think that, but I want you to understand that for us as Christians, I think there's a, a good time for us occasionally to come back to the basics and really think about what true Christianity is, what a, a new kind of life really looks like. We talked last week about worship and what it looks like to really worship and, and what does it mean to really worship. And one of the things that we pointed out was this, true worship is hearing and listening. And a lot of times, I think when we start talking about salvation, if you've been a Christian a long time, you just tune out. I've heard it. I'm already a Christian. 
I don't need to hear that kind of message again. I need something else. I need, I need this or I need that. And this morning I want to urge you, don't tune out. But simply go through the thing of saying, you know what? This is, this is opening day. This is spring training. I know all the basics, but I need to go over them one more time and just brush up on those things. And actually there's fourfold purpose that, G, that John wrote, First John. The first he wrote to promote fellowship. It says in John 1, 3, that you also may have fellowship with us who are other believers and that the Father and the Son and the Jesus Christ, that you might have fellowship with them. So he wrote this church that they might have fellowship together. The second thing he wrote about, he said, I'm writing that it might be joy, to provide joy to the church. First John 1, 4 says that your joy may be full. The third thing that John wrote this letter about was to prevent sin. First John 2, 1 says, so that you may not sin... And then the fourth thing was to provide insurance. First John 5.13 says, He wants you to be saved, that you may believe on the name of the Son of God, that He wants you to, to know that you're saved, and He wrote that you may know that you have eternal life. Those were the purposes for John's letter to this church. He said, I want, I want to promote fellowship, I want to provide joy, I want to prevent sin, and I want you to have assurance that you're a child of the King. So that's, that's the purpose and that's the reason behind John's writing. John says that, that there are some things that he wants us to know about real Christianity, uh, a new kind of life, a, a new kind of joy. In fact, the word know, John uses 25 times in 1 John. 25 different times. He says, I want you to know this. I want you to know this. I want you to know this. And John has preached and John has taught these people but he's revisiting that they may know. In fact, John is saying to false teachers, the, the, the Gnostics, you think you know, but, but here's the truth. I really know. Now let's look at 1 John, starting in verse 1. 1 John 1, and this is our text. He says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, and which we have looked at, and our hands have touched... This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, and we have seen it, and we testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and, his, and has appeared to us. Verse 3. We proclaim to you that we have seen and heard, so that you may also have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we write these things to make our joy complete verse 5 and this is the message that we heard from him and desire to you and declaim to you let me try that one more time this is a message we have heard from him and declare to you God is light and in him there is no darkness at all that very last statement is what I'm going to close with in just a few minutes there's no darkness in him I want you to think about that phrase and I want you to think about what that means to you there's no darkness in him because I learned some things this morning. So what does real Christianity look like? Is it possible to know what real Christianity looks like? Is it possible for us to know in ourselves if we're born-again Christians? And, and all of these things, there's a certain type of, of conviction about the truth. And our society has really abandoned any thought that there are absolute truths. you agree with that? I mean, our society today says we can't really know for sure that things that are true today will be true tomorrow. And because of that, 
for the most part, society says there are no absolute truths. There are no things that we can absolutely say, this is true, this is true, this is true, period. Because most of our society says, well, how do you know that's really true? Like Gnosticism. How do you know there's not another way? How do you know things can't be different? So with all of these things that come out in our society and all of these uh, truths that have been abandoned, the, the fact that many say there's no absolutes, John is dealing with that. And boy, I think for us today that that is something that we really need to know and we really need to understand and we need, to, we need to be able to defend that. Now, John Hanby made this statement. Christianity is, in essence, not a system of thought, but a relationship with a person, Jesus Christ. I want you to think about that just a minute. Christianity is not a system of thought. How many of us believe that? I mean, how many of us really just think Christianity is just a, it's what I think? I mean, I think if I've accepted Christ, I think if I live a good life, I think if I do good, we begin to put a system of thought around what a Christian life is when Christianity is not a system of thought. Christianity is a relationship with a person, Jesus Christ. We're in a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what real Christianity is, and Christ has been historically validated. I mean, historically, he's been personally experienced he has authority been proclaimed. That's who Jesus Christ is. So with that in mind and understanding the problems in the church, I have a couple of points this morning. Three. And the first is the longest. So if you're already looking at the clock thinking, all right, he's got 23 minutes left. The first is the longest. But it's a great thing because it's validating Jesus Christ. And I want you to hear this. First, real Christianity is revealed in Jesus Christ. John says, That from which the beginning we have heard, we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and which our hands have held. The very first verse, John speaks of that which was from the beginning. In doing this, he points out Jesus is eternally real. Remember who John is. And that's why when we read this, John is the last living apostle. And he says, Here are the things that I know. Gnostics say, you've got a better plan. You've got a better ideal. Here's some things which I know. And G John begins to, his letter with a statement about Jesus Christ. He begins to talk about Jesus Christ. He says, I have firsthand historical experience with Jesus Christ. If we were in a trial this morning and someone got up and, and began to, to give a, a testimony or something, if they said, you know, I was there, I seen this, this is what I saw with my eyes, then we, they would have some credibility, weren't they? They would have, and, and that's what John is doing. He, he says, that which we have heard, that which we have seen with our eyes, and that which we have handled. He says, here's my qualifications to speak on this matter. So when we look at John and we look at this, this letter and we think about who is John, he, he has three verbs he uses to describe his experience with Christ. And he says, here's my qualifications. Have you ever, have you ever heard, heard a sto told a story? Now, I'm not talking about a lie story. I'm talking about a true story. And, and you're telling somebody, and, and they're looking at you like, nah. and what do you say? I seen it with my eyes. I seen it with my own eyes. 
Brother, you can believe it. I was there and I seen it. If you're telling a story and, and you were there and you seen it, you're compassionate about it. If people doubt it, you say, well, you doubt it if you want to. I know what I saw. That's exactly what John's doing. He says, that which we have heard. I heard these things with my own ears. And as John's talking about this, he says throughout his earthly ministry, the words that Christ spoke, the the writers of the gospel, I heard Jesus speak these things. I heard with my own ears. And John begins to look back at his experiences. And can you imagine what John thought? Can you imagine what John had seen? I mean, as he goes back and he begins to to think about the parables that he heard Jesus teach and and how they were compelling and how they were mysterious and, and how they had such deep issues that dealt with the heart. Don't you know John was thinking about that thing? Don't you know he was thinking about those, those powerful messages, the Sermon on the Mount that John said and heard Jesus preach? And don't you know he remembers those times that Jesus called men out of sin and said, come and follow me and, and go and sin no more. And John must have been thinking about those things as he saw and remembered Jesus' compassion that he had with the leper and that he had with the the blind man and that he had with the woman who who the Pharisees brought to him and and was a prostitute. And he looked at her and said, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. You know, I love that story. It says that the Pharisees brought Jesus that woman and and, uh, they said... The, the law says that she needs to be stoned and, and the Bible says that Jesus knelt down and he began to draw in the sand. And many say that, we don't know this, but many say that he began to, to list the sins of the apostles. And, and they're standing with their rocks and they begin to drop them and, and they begin to walk away. And, and when Jesus looks up, he says, we're your accusers. They're, they're gone, and, and neither do I condemn you. And, and go and sin no more. All of those things that, that John must have been remembering as he stood before this church or as he wrote to this church and realizing there was those who had come into the church that said, you know, there, Jesus Christ is no one. It's not true. There's other ways. And John began to remember those things. Now in his upper 80s, Maybe his hearing was going away, but he, know, he knew and he understood what he had heard Jesus say. And he had witnessed what Jesus had done. And, and that's where we move into our, our second thing, those which he had saw. He saw some things in Jesus' life. Now, this is interesting to me. I hope you don't get bogged down in this. But there's, there's three words in the Greek for saw. That's why sometimes our Bible translations... Uh, they're, they're different, and we read something, and we may not really understand what it's saying. But these three words, John 20, the Gospel of John, 25 through 8, all three of those words are used. And it's a, it's a story about the events of the day of His resurrection, Jesus's. And as we read that story, the chapter tells us that John and Peter were informed by the ladies that the body of Jesus was missing, if you remember this, and so Peter and John got up and ran towards the tomb. John's younger, he got there first. So as he gets there, the scripture says he looked down and he saw the linen clothes lying there. Now that word saw is blepo, and it indicates a, a, an object that's impressed on someone. 
In other words, you may leave here today and uh, someone may be, y'all know down here on the right, they're redoing that house. And, and at one point, if you've gone by, you've looked over there and you said, they're redoing the house. I mean, you just saw it. It was an image that just kind of projected to you. You saw it. Well, that's the word there. John got to the tomb. He looked down. He saw the grave clothes. It was just a scene. Well, the story goes on when Peter got there. Peter didn't stop outside the tomb. Peter went inside. And, and it says here that he saw the linen clothes laying there. Oh, this is the second saw. This is when Peter arrives. Verse 5 is where it says he looked down and saw the linen clothes laying there. Then verse 6 says Peter went in. And he saw the linen clothes laying there. The difference in those words, that's theario, and that, that word behold, he beheld something with intelligence. In other words, Peter looked, he didn't just glance and see it, he looked and, and his mind began to investigate. He, he saw something and, and intellectually he, he was confused about it and he was looking at it and, and he, he was thinking, what is this? So that was a different kind of Saul. He, he saw with an, 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 an investigation kind of mind. And, and, and they begin to look and they begin to investigate what they're looking at. And then the third word, oreo, I mean it's oreo, it means in verse 8, he saw and he believed. Now three times in that passage of scripture, John saw, Peter saw, we saw. But it's three different meanings. That last meaning, that Oreo, that, that meaning is, is that he saw and he believed. He saw and he comprehended what he was seeing. Now I want you to think about this. Has that ever happened to you? Maybe whatever business you're in, you could probably do this. You, you, you go and you look at something and you see something. I, build, I, I used to, in my job, we built three-phase transformer banks. They're not hard to build. But there's, there's a Y configuration, there's a delta configuration, there's a Y delta configuration, there's an open Y open delta, is that right, Christopher? And all of those things, you can see them, and I could, I could take you out here and show you a bank and say, okay, this is an open Y open delta. And this may not mean anything to you. But when you saw it, you would go, hmm, that's a transformer bank. That's what Jake's talking about. That's three transformers or two transformers. Well, if you got a little interested in it, then I could say, okay, for this Y delta, you tie these inside bushings together and this on one outside to this outside, and you get this configuration in electricity. And you could go, hmm, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of investigating my mind. That's kind of curious to me. But then if you got into it and you sat down and you began to study it, and you begin to draw it out, and you begin to build it, at some point, what's going to happen? You're going to go, oh, I got it. <laughs> I understand. I a light come on all of a sudden. You ever had that? You're looking at something. You're, somebody's trying to explain something to you, and they're looking at you like, well, you dummy. Don't you just sit right here? Can't you see it? Can't you see it? And, and you're looking, and you're looking, and all of a sudden, it just comes clear in your mind, and you're like, oh, I got it. That's what John says. He says, we saw, we saw, then we saw and we went, oh, I've got it. 
He says, I've seen these things. I've not only looked at it, I've not only glanced upon it, I've not only investigated it, but I've saw it, and I saw it, and I believed. And for the people that he was talking to, he would have, they would have recognized these three words. And they would have recognized that John says, I'm talking about those things which I have seen, which I have believed upon. I'm not just talking about glancing over at something and and passing over something, but I have a deep knowledge, a deep understanding of what God has to say. The 35 miracles recorded in the New Testament, they're listed there, and, and John says this, we were eyewitnesses to these things. In 21.5, he said, in all these things that Jesus did were written in detail, the whole world could not contain those in the books. So John says, you know, I've heard from Christ. I've seen and I'm a witness and I believe. And then the third thing he says, that which I have touched. I have touched these things. There's a difference between false teachers and the teachers. And, and the first were, were those that denied Jesus was Messiah. They denied that. And, and I believe John had them in mind when he wrote 1 John 2.22 that says, Who is a liar but he that denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is an antichrist that denies the Father and the Son. They denied the incarnation, reasoning that, God could not come into a human body. Now, remember where we started? All material and all matter is evil. So Gnostics said God couldn't have came to a body because that's evil. That's material. That's matter. So there's no way that God could come to, a, to earth in a bodily form because that's evil. Now, if we're taught that, This is evil. Our bodies are evil. It would be real easy for the Gnostics to say, well, do you agree with that? Well, yeah, we agree with that. Well, how could God come into an evil body? Therefore, they taught, well, because our bodies are evil, our spirits are good. So let's drop Jesus out of the conversation. Let's drop Jesus out of the picture. We don't, we don't need Jesus anymore. And, and they came to, to, to this, this, this time of their life of saying that Jesus Christ is not needed. Think about what he says here in John 1.14. And the Word became flesh, and the flesh dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory of His one and only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And later in his letter, to, uh, his letter he says in, in 4, 2, and 3, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come into the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not that confess that Jesus Christ has come into the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of the Antichrist which you have heard was, committing, was coming and is now already at work in the world. See, those scriptures begin to make a lot of sense, don't they? They, they begin to give us an understanding of, of this church and these heretics and these Gnostics that say we don't need Jesus Christ anymore. Because after all, how, how would He come? How could He come? Why, why would He come to an, an evil body? Why would He live on an evil world? And, and John says, you know what? We've, we've heard and we've saw and, and we've touched. We, I, I'm qualified to speak on this. And I, I know who Christ is. We have people today that says, come to my seminar and, and give me $500 and, and I'll reveal to you the secrets of life. We need to understand that the, the Word is the Word of God Himself, and this life was made plain, and there's eternal life from the Father. That's the secret of life. 
We have an opportunity to, to be Christ's and to be born again. That's what real Christianity looks like. It's, it's taking God at His Word. Two more things, and we're going to be out of here on time. I told you my first was the longest. Amen? Are you with me? If you're listening, say, I am. Thank you. Real Christianity is Christ experienced. That's what really is my second point. Real Christianity is Christ experienced. There's a big difference between knowing someone or knowing them and having a relationship with someone. Isn't there a big difference in there? You know, the Bible says that even demons, what do they do? They believe. Even demons believe in Christ. And the Bible says they believe and they shudder. They, they, they shake to think about who Christ is. And folks, if we're here today and we simply have a knowledge of Jesus Christ, we know all about Him. We grew up in Sunday school. We heard all the stories. We've heard all the, seen all the things and all the pictures. And we've, we've heard the preacher preach all the messages. And we, boy, we can argue all the things of Scripture and we know it. If we've never had a relationship with Jesus Christ, that's not real Christianity. That's simply a head knowledge. If, if we're talking about baseball and we can go in and we can, we can sit down and we can study all the rules from the front of the book to the back of the book. And then we can go study players and we can see how different hitters stand different ways and different pitchers release the ball in different ways. And we can gain all of that knowledge. And we could go on TV and we could tell of things in the past and things where it's now and what it may look like in the future. And, and we can know all of those things. But if we've never experienced it, if we've never experienced the game, then we can't say, you know what, I'm part of it. We just got a head knowledge. But when we put that knowledge into action, and for a Christian, that putting that knowledge into action is when we have that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And according to verse 2, it's a life that is to be experienced. You might say, well, I've never seen Jesus. I've never heard Him talk. I've never touched Him. I was born 20 centuries too late. You know, if I'd been one of the disciples... I, I think I could do it. But folks, we need to understand it wasn't the fact that the apostles, that the disciples were with Jesus, that they were saved. It was the fact that they became spiritual followers. They became near Him spiritually. In other words, they accepted Him as Lord and Savior. They simply didn't accept Him as a friend. They simply didn't say, because we've seen these things, we're going to believe they had the knowledge. They had an understanding of all that Christ had done. But they had to accept them just like we do. They had to confess that they were sinners. They had confessed that they needed Christ. It might have been harder for them. You reckon? You reckon if you lived three and a half years side by side with somebody and you seen all the things he had done and you experienced and heard all the words he spoke to bow down and say, I need your forgiveness. I need your blood to cover me. See, the disciples accept Christ just as we accept Christ. That's the basics of Christianity. Here's the last thing. Real Christianity is Christ proclaimed. This is the message, according to verse 5, this is the message which we have heard from Him and declare to you that God is light and in Him no darkness at all. I asked you a while ago, 
to think about what does that mean? In him there's no darkness. John Stott says this. He says, The Christian message is neither a philosophical speculation or a tentative suggestion nor a modest contribution to a religious thought but a dogmatic affirmation by those experienced and commissioned and qualified to make them. A Christian life is not something that philosophically we discuss. We go hear a different side and we debate with another side. You know what dogmatic is? That's just doggone it. This is the only way it is. That's what it is. It's, it's a dogmatic way of life. The agnostics and the Gnostics say we can't know God. We can't experience God. But this passage says in him is no darkness. That Greek word for darkness means dimness or obscurity. Have you ever thought about putting those words where that says? In God, in Him, He is light. All can see. He's light. And in Him, there's no dimness. There's no obscurity in God. If you think we can't know God, if you think that God is something that we can't comprehend, look at what John says. There's no obscurity in Him. There's no dimness in Him that we can't understand. When we grow with God, He reveals His mysteries to us daily. We can know Him. We can have a personal relationship with Him. And when we do that, we pass that on to others. If you have a good dessert, we're going to eat today in just a few minutes. And if uh, you're welcome to stay and, and have fellowship. If you find a good dessert on Pinterest, I've never been on Pinterest. I don't know what it is, but I hear y'all women talk about it all the time. What do you do with that dessert? You make it, test run it, then what do you do? Eat it. I already said eat it. Whoever said that? Somebody who said it. You share it, don't you? Oh, I found this great dessert over on Pinterest. Let me share it with you. I found this cutest, you name it. Let me tell you about it. I mean, when we find something that really means something to us, we share it with others, don't we? Oh, I've got to tell you about this. Let me tell you what I found. Let me tell you what I've seen. Let me, let me tell you what I experienced. We, we want others to know about this. And when it comes to our Christian life, Christ is to be proclaimed to others. I want to ask you, if you would, this morning to, to bow your heads for just a moment, and I want to close here. Today, so many people want a Christ of their own making. We can just throw out what we believe. Yeah, I believe this and never have a thought about what God's Word says. We like a Christ of our own making. That doesn't constitute being saved. Jesus Christ says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You know what? We can be dogmatic. We can be hard-headed about that. When God does something in our life, when He reveals a mystery to us, when, he, when we understand that God says, in me there's no obscurity, there's no dimness, but in me there is light for all to see, boy, we can share that and say, you know what, I, I figured something out. God revealed something to me today, and you know, if you have a doubt in God, let me tell you what, his, what, what He said 
that we can know him and that we can know him fully and there's no obscurity and no darkness in him. We've got some good news today. If we think about the basics, the basics and getting back to that spring training and the, the basics of our Christian life, the first thing is, is our relationship with Christ. Do you believe that Jesus Christ came to this earth, died for our sins, was buried, and on the third day was risen again? That's the basics of a Christian life. Sometimes we need to revisit that. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Not of your own making, but that, that God himself has, has called you and said, hey, I want you over here on my family. I want you on my team. This morning, we're going to have an invitation. And with the Holy Spirit moves within your heart, and, and you feel that tugging of the Spirit, that's that phone call saying, hey, man, I've got good news for you. I want you to come join us. I want you to join our team. I want you to join our club. I, I want you to become part of my family. And then we make the decision today. I'll respond to your call. Or I'll decide no. John says, you know, I know what I've heard. I know what I've seen. I know what I've touched. Jesus Christ said, I am true. I am the way. And this morning, however the Spirit would lead you, I want to ask you in just a moment, would you respond? Father, I pray this morning as we think about the, the basic of our Christian life, we think, Father, about just knowing who we are in you and knowing, Father, that uh, you have called us to be a part of your family. Father, I pray that we would examine ourselves. John says, I've written these things that you may know. You don't have to wonder, you don't have to question, but that you may know you have eternal life. Father, I pray as we examine ourselves, that we would start today with just the basics of life. Lord, we know there's many things in Scripture that you reveal to us and that we may not know now, but there's a day coming through growing, through training, uh, through, through hearing that you reveal to us steps and ways and directions. Lord, I pray that we would start at the beginning today. And Father, from this day, we would nail down that relationship and begin to grow begin to understand deeper what you have for us. I pray your spirit would move within our hearts, within our lives. I pray that we'd respond to you in Jesus' name. Amen.